From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. We continue our series with Marianne Bellazzini of Campo de Bella as she digs into the startup of their farm-to-table restaurant and winery. Hear about her journey and the importance of research, persistence, and being open to new ideas. Marianne shares how they strategically tested the idea by first renting a licensed commercial kitchen before investing in their own place. Marianne Bellazzini and her husband Mark run Campo de Bella, a farm-to-table restaurant and winery in Blue Mounds, Wisconsin, serving Italian-inspired dining experiences. Self-taught on the farming side, Marianne and her family moved from the Chicago scene and for several years ran a vegetable CSA, inspired by her abundant garden. Her Italian upbringing and love for creating welcoming settings around food inspired the current food service venture. We are back with Marianne Bellazzini at the beautiful Campo de Bella farm restaurant, winery, cafe, you do it all. I can yes. sleep here too, right? <laughs> you can. I just might. You can. I, might. I find your story of what you and Mark have done here so inspiring because it really is a journey, right? And yes. things, there wasn't a master plan. I mean, Mm-mm. I don't mean that, I don't mean that in the sense of you don't have a vision on where you want to go, but you are open to things evolving Absolutely. and following yeah. your heart and realizing that as you get into things, things change, right? Yes. And what I love about the the whole story here with the farm to table and the dinners is it was a very thoughtful process, whether or not you realized yeah. it at the time. Yeah, you know? no, I guess I didn't. <laughs> we, we were talking about in, in the first episode how the whole idea of serving meals came from your CSA members even. Yes. Of they, they wanted more. They wanted to pay you to <laughs> do this. And that led to this beautiful operation and building and all that we see here today. And as you know, with the whole growth of farm to table, and especially farmers, we love to host people, right? We love right. to feed people. But having a potluck on your farm or having your family for Thanksgiving is a totally different experience than running a food service operation. And that's where we you've been so, again, wonderfully transparent with your story to help people understand that, you yeah. know? So so given that, I mean, what talk us through a little bit like once that idea was sparked like hmm, maybe we could do this there were years before you broke ground and years before yes. we are today but what were some of the first steps of that journey i um so that was back in august of 2013 was the very first farm to table dinner offsite okay so talk um, about the offsite cuz that's okay. important so, these are totally legitimate. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Totally. Um, these are not underground dinners. Mm-hmm. These are this. We rented the hall for a lot of money. Um, it was at our fellowship hall at our uh, at our boys' ch- uh, school and church, 
And that building itself could sit over 300 people. We were inviting 25, but we felt like we needed to give it a shot and see if it would work. So um, we uh, got a temporary restaurant license and um, we used their commercial kitchen because the Fellowship Hall had a commercial kitchen. And, and to point out, not all churches do. It really No, depends. so you definitely have to make sure that you uh, work with the county. I'm trying to remember if the agency was under the, I think it was under the county at that point, and with the um, facility to make sure you, you meet all the requirements necessary to be able to use that facility and stuff like that. Um, and so then they came and we prepped a couple days in advance. We, um, we put out to our CSA members, and so there were 25 people that showed up, and um, we cooked dinner like we would have for our family, um, but with at, at a bigger level. So I don't remember if Mark actually started buying the pots and pans just yet for the he was commercials, ready. <laughs> but he was ready. So, and so there was a couple times in those first few dinners where we would forget something at the farm and I'd have to drive the 30 minutes back and forth to go get it. So, um, but still that's the, a whole lot cheaper than the, building a kitchen the, from yes, the start. I, absolutely. That's I, I mean, that's so smart. And I, you don't hear about that often of, training wheels to try your business idea out and see if this if works it'll float or not. I think that for us, we didn't want to jump into it. Um, not making sure that this was going to be somewhat successful and, and investing the time and money and energy into it if it wasn't going to be successful. So people, you know, I, I love that people have great ideas and everything like that, but you kind of want them to put their money where their mouth is. So this gave us that kind of validity that yes, they would come out. People would so show up and people, pay. Yeah, people would show up and pay. And so we were sold out and we did it seasonally for the first year and we were sold out um, every every dinner except if the Badgers and the Packers where we got really smart about when to plan our dinners around those games because there are diehards here and we cannot intervene with their calendars. Good to know. It was very important. And we didn't offer wine at that point because that was an extra expense. We would have needed a bartender and and that person would have had a license and um, we didn't even begin to fathom how to purchase the wine or beer or beverages for these events. So that was the one piece that we felt was missing from our dinners. And then we moved closer to the farm because of all those running back and forth issues. And we um, rented out a local diner here in downtown Mount Horeb because they were open during the day and were closed at night. And they loaned us their kitchen and let us turn the dining their dining room into our dining, into our farm to table experience. And then people could actually walk down the street and we partnered with a fellow winery and have a wine tasting as part of their dinner and then come over and have dinner with us. So we still didn't have the, the liquor license that we needed, but you could still have go have a couple a glass of wine or a tasting, so to speak, which would be almost a glass, and then come over to have the dinner. And those were five courses. And those were very well received as well. And that was about, I would say, spring and summer of 2014. And at that point, things were going well. And that's when we decided, yeah, we're going to build. So in January of 14. Mark started planning, Mark is my husband, started um, contacting all of the agencies that we knew we would need to have involved in this project. And there were quite a few. And um, you had the winery. Well, we, yeah, that was the other piece of it was that the winery, uh, we were building a winery and a restaurant at the same time. 
um, with a commercial kitchen on a farm. So it really... <laughs> That's we, like a yeah, trifecta yeah, of confusion for agencies. Yeah, right? exactly. oh, you don't fit their norm. You don't fit in their box. And so they get really confused and upset and, and frustrated with you because they want you to fit in a box and you just don't. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, and one thing too here is, I mean, the winery is, is one, almost its own business entity in the exactly. own right. Yep. And then you knew from the get-go that you wanted to do full course meals Yes. And therefore, you, you it's basically a restaurant kitchen here. Right? Yes. Basically, it is, right? Yeah. So that's very different than when we hear about pizza farms or some other places that do on-farm food service in a legal commercial capacity, but only do one item. Do you know? Like, right. Like, exactly. People don't realize sometimes, I don't realize how many ways there is to slice a commercial kitchen. It's not one size fits all. But no. you really, you needed to start with the full kahuna. Well, yeah, we wanted to make sure that the, that our guests were going to have a unique dining experience with um, a full courses. And we wanted to, we kind of uh, patented after the pranzos that we had in Italy with our family members. And theirs were in the middle of the afternoon, but here in the United States, we eat our heaviest meal at night. So we just flipped it and would do the dinner in lieu of the afternoon big lunch. And so, and those are usually five to seven courses, depending on the place and the amount you order. And when you started that process of saying, hey, could we do this here? It was motivated by multiple reasons, right? I mean, A, you had the customer base, right? You, right. You, there are people who wanted to come and pay and have experience and that you and Mark, say, enjoyed. But it, it, yeah. it was no, a process. We, we were foodies I mean? and yeah. we loved to cook. Yeah. And, we loved and you didn't want to drive yeah. somewhere else. No. Plus, then you yes. could offer the whole farm. I mean, it was farm right. to table without the farm. Right, literally. exactly. Yeah, we, we wanted to be um, transparent about what we were doing on the farm, but we also wanted to be authentic to our philosophy. Um, and the other thing was we were raising animals and so and vegetables, and we wanted to use our product in a different way that maybe we weren't doing another avenue of um, income that we could use our products. So the first couple years, we um, got into a grant where we got a business plan developed and I remember the guy coming out and talking to us about having to downsize all of our activities on the farm. And we just balked it. And we just looked at him and we're like, we're not downsizing anything. We don't want to do anything. But as the years have progressed, we've come to the realization that we there are certain things we really love to do. And then there are just certain things that have to get done on the farm. And we had to like kind of find a happy balance for both. Sure. So, and yeah. And, and then the fact that we... Um, didn't, couldn't go off, uh, Mark couldn't get retired from his off farm job was important to us because we need to make sure that this business could be a go before he retired from his off farm job. So, um, we're in year five of that plan. So when so, you were describing, okay, you made this decision and you started calling the agencies, how long did the, I know it's probably hard in retrospect, but <laughs> I want to say it took nine time, months, right? Yeah, okay. Nine months to a year. Like, I don't think Mark just like on January first started. I think he was like exploring it the fall before when we were doing the dinners off farm to kind of see what would it take to bring it on farm and what would we need and who would we need to have involved in that. And so um, there was just. I, I want to say there were at least five or six agencies involved in that whole process, all the way down from the township all the way up to what used to be ATF, uh, alcohol, tobacco, and oh, firearms, yeah. guys. and now is TTB. So, uh, and uh, blank on what their title is, but yeah. And 
you really have always been pioneering new ground with this, right? I mean, it's not like there was, like you said, a box you fit into, even an example. Oh, we're just like no. so-and-so. Right. Well, we, <laughs> the wineries think we should be like them. The restaurants think we should be like them. And customers are just confused on what we are in general. So it was a big learning curve for our customers to understand that not only did we offer wine and beer and all those are different permits, but we also offered food and meals, not just food, but meals as well. And we did a little bit of everything. And we tried to do it incredibly well so that people would really understand and we could bring a little bit, a touch of Italy to South Central Wisconsin. But one of my first situations that happened was, it was, I think, our first winter, or not winter, fall. Um, the gentleman, A gentleman calls me on the phone. Now, I have no restaurant experience except that I was a bus girl and a hostess at a really small um, restaurant in Chicago back when I was 14 years old and knew I didn't like it. So I wasn't, that wasn't my goal to go in that vein of, of work of profession. And so, um, he calls and he says, I want to order, I want to put in an order for chicken parm. And I'm like, hello. I'm like, excuse me. And he goes, I want to order chicken parm. And I said, I'm sorry, sir. We're not serving chicken parmigiano tonight. And he says, oh, well, what are you serving? And I said, we're serving um, pasta with pesto. It's homemade. We do it ourselves. And he's like, what does it come with? Pesto? And I was like really confused about these questions. And he's like, okay, give me an order of that. It's to go. I'm like, okay. He goes, well, what else can I buy? I said, well, we make our own homemade rustic Italian bread. He's like, okay, give me an order of that too. I go, okay. He goes, I'll be there in an hour. He's like, I'm like, sir. Okay. He goes, I need to be at Yellowstone Lake or something like that. And I said, okay, we'll have it ready for you. And and I was kind of like, it was my first carryout order. And I never had a carryout order and I didn't know what to do. So I went back to talk to Mark and Mark's like, no, the pasta's going to be too goopy. It won't, he won't like it if he doesn't stay here and eat it and blah, blah, blah. I said, the man wants it to go. So please make it to go and everything like that. And so the gentleman shows up and um, I was intrigued. I wanted to know how he had heard about us. And he, before he walks in the door, he opens the door and he goes, you're a farm. <laughs> and I said, yes. And he goes, oh, I go, but we have a restaurant. I go, sir, how did you hear about us? He goes, I Googled Italian restaurants near Mount Horeb and you came up. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so it was a bit of educating them on what we offered and what and how we offered it. And it turned out that he was going to camp for the night. And so we he ate to. well. He was very happy. <laughs> Mark was giving him instructions on, on why he put a little extra pasta water in there so that the pasta wouldn't be goopy. I really didn't think that was what the man was worried about. <laughs> New experiences all around and, and yes. constant education too, it sounds like. Exactly. Terrific. Exactly. All right. We'll talk more about the kitchen next okay. episode. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots Project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, Moses. The mission of Moses is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on Moses, In Her Boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.